Hey, what's up? It's Pete Mundo. Thanks for checking out this week's uh, radio show and podcast forum. As always, please leave us a rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Helps us out a lot. And if you do it, send me an email of your screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. It'll get the koozie in the mail for you. A Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail for you. How about that? All right, thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. We'll talk to you soon. Well, the NCAA tournament is continuing. Unfortunately, not as many Big 12 teams still playing as we would have hoped. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. All season long, we've been talking to this guy, Matthew Postens, of course, has uh, done fantastic work when it comes to covering the entire Big 12 basketball scene. So, you know, Matthew, let's uh, let's look back on on the NCAA tournament for five of the six Big 12 teams that end up losing. And we'll start with Iowa State. You know, you and I saw in person Iowa State win the Big 12 tournament, the excitement in Kansas City for the fan base. They go out there, they have a clunker against Ohio State. Um, it happens. That's what makes the NCAA tournament great, but also heartbreaking. Steve Prohm signs a contract extension this week. This after rumors that he was tied to the Alabama job. That's his alma mater, Avery Johnson, out. Uh, what do you make of that move by Iowa State? Is Prohm the guy that can lead this program to, you know, elite eights and final fours? Can he do it? Well, I think we're going to find out, and I think that's what Iowa State believes in giving him a contract extension the way they did this week. It's very similar to what Texas Tech did with Chris Beard after they let him, after he led them to the elite eight last year. They gave him a large contract extension as well. You know, Prohm's already won two Big 12 tournament titles. Uh, that's as many as uh, I think Fred Hoiberg won and uh, one more than Larry Eustacey won. So he's already done some really good things in Ames. Um, he had a really good recruiting class this past year. He did a good job this year with the class that's coming in of expanding the recruiting footprint outside of just that Midwest area. He's actually got a recruit coming in from the South. So uh, I think between the way they've played this year, uh, the way he's recruited the last two years, and just the overall excitement that he's been able to generate around the program, I think Iowa State feels like he's the guy. I think what's going to determine whether or not they go to that next level or not is you know those little coaching things that you have to do, those adjustments that Bill Self's always really good at in games, uh, those adjustments that Chris Beard has proven to be very good at in games. Uh, I wouldn't say that you know Steve Prohm is maybe there yet as an in-game coach in terms of making those adjustments. I think there were some adjustments he could have made against Ohio State that he was a little slow to make. But if he improves in that area as a coach and continues to improve the talent that he's already accumulated, this is a, a program that has a legitimate chance of going to a Sweet 16 or even an Elite Eight in the next two or three years. Mm-hmm. Matthew Poston's joining us. Um, Matthew, you know, I, I find the – Baylor Bears to be a very intriguing team. I mean, they were up, they were down, they were down, they were up. Uh, they end up losing to one seed Gonzaga in the round of 32. Uh, you know, when you look back on this season for Baylor and what Scott Drew put together for this team, successful year? I mean, h- how do you quantify what this season was for the Bears? Well, I, I would qualify it as successful, and I think uh, Scott Drew would too, especially when you consider that, you know, during Big 12 Media Day, when I talked to him, 
know, he was lamenting the fact that they had the fewest returning letter winners of any Power Five program in the country. Uh, I think he had three coming back. Hmm. So he had a lot of inexperience. He had a lot of guys who had not been in his program very long, and he really wasn't sure how all of that was going to come together. And after they lost Tristan Clark to the injury in mid-January, I honestly thought they were done as a program, at least for this year. And, you know, Scott Drew put together a fantastic year, got a lot of great play out of guys that really hadn't contributed a whole lot to that point. You know, guys like uh, Freddie Gillespie, Devontae Bandu, uh, Jared Butler became a starter uh, with the injuries to Kane McClure and Makai Mason, and he really came along big time as a player. And now you look at this team going into next year, they've got practically everybody coming back. The only three players they're losing are Mackay Mason, who was only going to be there one year anyway, uh, King McClure, who's out of eligibility, and Jake Lindsay, who is deciding not to use his final year of eligibility uh, after sitting out this year with the injury. So all of that depth that Scott Drew built over the course of this season is coming back. Tristan Clark is coming back. They've got a talented recruiting class coming in. Uh, this is going to be a team that's going to be a known quantity in the Big 12 next year and certainly built to contend with schools like Kansas and Iowa State and Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. Matthew, you know, um, uh, I, w I want to touch on what's going on here with his brother, Bryce Drew, fired from Vanderbilt. Do you think he ends up in Waco? I think there's a possibility. I mean, it's it's a weird situation because it sounds like Vanderbilt fired him, at least based on what I've read. Yeah. But then I also read a note in one of the ESPN stories that I, I saw that indicated that they're trying to reassign Bryce Drew because they don't want to pay the buyout. I think what's happening here is that they don't want to pay the whole buyout to Bryce Drew. So they're trying to negotiate a way to lower the buyout to go ahead and let Bryce Drew go and, and find another job somewhere. The longer this drags out, mm -hmm. the harder it could be for him to find another head coaching job somewhere. Because before he went to Vanderbilt, he was very successful at Valparaiso. He did a very good job there before he got the Vandy job. And, you know, if, if there's not a head coaching job out there, I could certainly see him landing in Waco for a year or two and doing the, the whole, you know, quote-unquote coach rehabilitation thing uh, where he works as an assistant for a year under his brother Scott and finds another head coaching job somewhere. I, I would not rule it out at all. Interesting. Uh, Matthew, let's let's uh, touch on Kansas State because, you know, the Wildcats uh, had a senior-laden team this year. They get to the Elite Eight last year, all the success, and then co-Big 12 champions this year in the regular season. Yes, Dean Wade was out, but, you know, he missed uh, missed the run last year as well. I was – maybe I should not have been. I was shocked. Because I figured these seniors, they had a couple of things that you look for, I at least look for, going into the NCAA tournament. Have they been there before? Do they have experience? Do they have good guard play and ball handling ability? K-State had both. I, what happened? You know, I, I think that uh, the grind of the Big 12 season might have gotten to them a little bit. You know, we, we came into this season saying, I love the five or six guys that they have that play all the time. But that's the problem you have five or six guys that play all the time at Kansas State. At no point during the season was Bruce Weber ever really able to cultivate any meaningful depth. I mean, Mike McGurl gave them a nice game here. Sean Neal Williams gave them a nice game there. I mean, outside of the core five starters and whoever came off the bench, whether it was uh, Cartier Jara or uh, Kamau Stokes or – uh, Barry Brown Jr., there was always one of those guys coming off the bench at some point during the season due to injuries. 
they just weren't able to cultivate that depth. And I think that's ultimately what caught up to them in the NCAA tournament because you, you play those games in Kansas City in the tournament. I know I know K-State lost early, and they gave them some time to get a little rest. But you, know, you go into the NCAA tournament, they weren't playing as well as they had been playing the previous few weeks. And I think all that wear and tear finally caught up with them. Uh, had that been a deeper team, had that been a team that could have relied on a couple more players uh, to give them, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game, I think they could have gone a little bit farther. I think last year, you know, same makeup, same team, they just had such a wave of momentum coming out of the Big 12 tournament that they were able to ride that into the Elite Eight. This year they didn't have that momentum, they didn't have that depth, and I think it kind of wore them down a little bit. You know, it's interesting because those conference tournaments um, can either – uh, make or break your season. Some people, like you point out last year, K State use them as momentum. But you know, you also for every team that does that, Matthew, you have a team like Iowa State that wins it. The fan base is jazzed up, and they had this like hangover effect in the NCAA tournament. What are your What are your general thoughts and, and philosophy on, on that conference tournament and what effect it has on the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, coaches are all over the map on it. I, yeah. I think that. I think you want your team to play as well as possible, even if you don't win the, the conference tournament championship. Mm-hmm. Even if you get to the semis and you get beaten or you get to the championship game and you get beaten, you want to play as well as you possibly can. I'd rather win it if I'm a coach. I'd rather win the whole thing, get to the game on Friday or Saturday, be able to at least say, hey, we've, we've won this conference tournament. We've got a, a good seed coming to us in the uh, NCAA tournament next week. We know – what our path is going to be. We know who we're preparing for, and now we can carry some of that momentum into the tournament. It doesn't always work out that way, like you said. Iowa State had momentum. They lost it. You know, Kansas State, I don't think, had a lot of it, but just going into that tournament, and they lost it. You know, I thought Kansas had some momentum, even though, even though they didn't play that well against Iowa State. They lost that in the second round. A lot of it has to do with the matchups that you get. Uh, last year, Kansas State benefited from the fact that they were in the same region as Virginia when Virginia lost to uh, Baltimore County. Uh, this year, they didn't get that kind of a, a break. UC Irvine was a very good mid-major team. They had won 30 games, and I, I think that kind of showed ultimately in the end result. Matthew Poston's our guest. Uh, Matthew, all right, let's 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 talk about a team you just mentioned there, uh, Kansas Jayhawks. And when you look at this team, you know, they get to the second round, they end up losing to Auburn. A lot of people bothered by the fact that they got the Midwest Regional, which meant they would have played in Kansas City if they got to the Sweet 16. That's a moot point now. Uh, you know, when last year ended, we said, hey, this KU team got to the Final Four, but next year's team could end up being better. That didn't happen. There were a lot of extenuating circumstances around this team. Uh, what I would be cautious to tell other Big 12 fans is, you know, you can enjoy it, obviously, and I'm not saying don't enjoy it. You should. I mean, KU's down. But how long do you see this lasting? I think it's a really good question, and I think it's going to depend upon how they build their front court. When you look at what they have in the back court, assuming all those guys come back, and there are two of them that are actually in ESPN's top 100 as far as NBA prospects for 2019. That's uh, Devin Dotson and Quentin Grimes. I don't expect either one of those guys to go to the NBA. When you look at their backcourt, they're in great shape. They've got four guys back there who, if they improve and they track the way that I think Bill Self is hoping, they're going to be better three-point shooters next year. They're going to be better driving to the basket. Dotson's going to be a better point guard. They're going to be a much better perimeter team next year. The real thing they have to figure out is they have to figure out their inside game. 
First of all, they have to figure out if uh, Dieter Blossom's coming back, if he's going to go to the NBA or not. Then they have to worry about whether or not Adoka as a is coming back. Now, I know he missed most of the year with an injury, but he could decide to say, you know what, I'm just going to go to the NBA or go pro because I don't want to risk another year with an injury. So he may be gone. Silvio D'Souza, he's suspended for next year. I doubt he'll ever darken the door as with a Kansas uniform on ever again unless they magically win that appeal. So right now, their front court is David McCormick, and that's it. Okay. And they've got to figure out what they're going to do if, indeed, all those things happen in that progression or that they happen all at once. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to be able to create a front court game because Bill Self said it during the tournament. What they like to do is they like to pound it inside at the beginning of a game, and then they want to toss it outside to shoot the three or shoot the perimeter shots. Right now, they don't have – if those things happen, they don't have the inside game to compete in the Big 12. That's going to be what's going to define – how long this quote-unquote down period is going to be. Is Bill Self going to have to go out and find a couple of guys in the transfer market? Is he going to have to go out and recruit another you know, seven-footer uh, off the high school ranks? He's going to have to do a lot of work the next few weeks to make sure he's covered in case those things happen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Matthew Poston's our guest. All right, Matthew. thing we haven't talked about that unfortunately fell this past weekend was, um, was of course, the Oklahoma Sooners. They win their first-round game against Ole Miss. They end up coming up short against Virginia. One seed, not a shocker there. I, you know, I, I believe I'd have to look it up, but I think Lon Kruger's got a pretty good 2019 class coming in. Uh, you know, we're not that far removed from this team reaching a Final Four. I guess it was three years ago now in 2016. Uh, where is Lon Kruger with this program and moving forward? Well, there's going to be a lot of transition this year. Uh, they're losing uh, a lot of seniors, losing Christian James, losing Jamuni McNeese. Uh, losing several guys who are seniors that really didn't contribute that much. But uh, all that means is, like you said, he's got a big recruiting class coming in, not just in numbers, but in quality of player. Uh, He's got two or three guys that are ranked in the top 100 in the nation. I think Texas is the only other school in the conference that can say that, along with Texas sector, three of them. Uh, But Lon Kruger's done a fantastic job here on the recruiting trail, getting guys that you know, two or three of them could be ready to play right away, and they need to be ready to play right away because right now the core of this team next year is Christian Doolittle, who I think finally fulfilled the promise that he's had the past couple of years as a forward for this team, and then Jamal Bienemy, who I think could become one of the better point guards in this league and certainly showed that he has the ability to run this offense the second half of Big 12 play. But they've got to find some guys to go around them. So, again, it's kind of like last year. They had a lot of transition. They didn't lose as many players, but they had question marks throughout their lineup. This year, it's they're losing a lot of guys. They've got two or three open spots. You know, those two guys, along with Brady Manick, who's coming back as a junior, and now they're either going to have to find those guys coming out of their freshman class, or they're going to have to develop some of these guys that didn't play a whole lot this year. But I like what they have coming in. They might not be any more than they were this year, just in terms of being like a 20-win team that makes yeah. the NCAA tournament. But if some of these guys in this class develop the way, you know, let's just say like a Buddy Heald did or a, a Blake Griffin did, then Oklahoma could be really good in a couple of years. Well, Matthew, it's, um, it's, it's fascinating to follow. I know there's a lot going on, and uh, we appreciate you joining us. We'll do it again next week at the same time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Well done, as always, by Matthew Postens. Great insight from him. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and we will get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. All you got to do is email me, p
Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get you the free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.